Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Wilmington. We've been going through a series on the River Life Wilmington vision, and my hope is that I'm going to repeat this so many times you'll have it memorized so that you can tell your friends about what we're about here at River Life Wilmington. And uh, it'll just flow off the top of your tongue. It's also still in draft status, so if you have recommendations to the verbiage, we're open for it. Uh, But I do want to start by reading our vision again. Uh, In the last couple weeks, we talked about encounters and how encounters with the Lord stir us up, why they're important, um, because they change us. They compel us to change and compel us to action. So we're going to move past encounters today. If we can put the vision up, there it is already to host a diverse church body that encounters the love and presence of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those encounters lead to radically changed and filled lives and a people who are activated into their identity and callings and carry the presence and kingdom of God into the city of Wilmington and beyond. We carry the kingdom. We carry the presence. We become who we were meant to be. Like all those things are in our heart that we have encounters with the living God. Today, I actually want to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what an amazing day of worship to kind of kick that off. I felt like we were dwelling in the Holy Spirit this morning, you know, during worship. And so I want to unpack that part in particular that says the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians, if you want to turn there, I'm actually going to specifically read out of the New American Standard Bible. I think this is the 1995 version. I don't know. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, if you want to go there with me. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. In Ephesians 3, we can flip there. Ephesians 3, 17. I'll switch over versions here, but it's okay. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. It goes on, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. But the beginning of that, Christ will make his home in your hearts, right? So we have this, these verses about God, Christ living in us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We indeed are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're all good, right? We all believe that. I don't need to go set, I don't need to prove that. Everybody okay? All right, we're we're all right there. But I do want to look at some of the things that Jesus said about the coming Holy Spirit to encourage us a little bit. I'm going to flip back to um, John, and we're going to go to John chapter 14. This is um, towards the end as well. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. And he starts talking a little bit more specifically about what happens when he leaves. What's going to happen when he leaves. And in chapter uh, 14, verse 16 Chapter 14 in John, verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, 
And he will give you another advocate or helper or counselor or comforter, whatever your version says. I'll come back to that. Let me read it again since I interrupted. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. He lives with you now and later will be in you. That's interesting. He, Jesus had not released the Holy Spirit yet. Like Pentecost had not yet come. And Jesus says he lives with you now because he was the Spirit of God. The Holy, he had, the Holy Spirit was, was, you know, on the earth. It hadn't yet lived inside. But I want to look at this and, and jumping back to the, the top of verse 16. He'll give us another advocate. I don't know what your translation says. Um, I mentioned some of them. Helper, counselor. What else do we have? Anybody have anything else? Encourager. Anybody have anything else in your translation? Did I hit some of them? Any in the messianic version? It's counselor. Um, those are all really good, it, quite literally translated. So the word there is, um, oh, I, I listened to it in Greek today so I could pronounce it correctly. I have zero recollection of how to pronounce it. It's something interesting, like parakletos or parkletos with a Greek accent. Um, it literally means to come alongside to help, to come alongside to help. And then that word help can be unpacked further. And that's where a lot of what we get, right? The helper, the counselor, the advocate, like all the ways that we need help in this life. Parakletos. Okay, that's it. I love it. It's taken from two root words. And one of um, the, the Passion Translation, Mary and I were reading in that and looking through some of the subnotes. And that translator translated it, the word as Savior. Well, that's interesting. Our Savior had already come. Why would he translate it? And he's, the, the reasoning behind it is park. It comes from two root words. Park, P-A-R-Q, meaning to end, finish, or to save. To end, finish, or to save. And then the word, the rest of the word, latos, comes from a root word, lyra, which means the curse. So literally, it means to come alongside and help. But he took another pass at it and said, if you actually get into the root words, it's a very interesting meaning to end, finish, or to save the curse. The Holy Spirit has come to end the work of the curse in our lives and to save us from its every effect. That's pretty interesting. It's like... It's like, you know, Jesus died on the cross to end the curse. Done. It was done. And do we need to apply it to our lives? It's like uh, I was thinking about it. This is a terrible analogy, so don't, don't use it. Like if Jesus were the paint and the Holy Spirit was the paintbrush. <laughs> like we have salvation in Jesus. And Holy Spirit applies it to our life. And not only applies it to our life, we're saved through what Jesus did on the cross. Like, that's done. But the areas of our life that need to live under that revelation and that real realization. 
Like, uh, need to live under that truth. How many of you know that you have areas, I have areas in my life that are not always living under the truth that I'm saved or that I'm set free from the curse, right? I got to work sometimes, and it feels like I'm working like thorny ground. And I know that was part of the curse, but the Holy Spirit comes to set me free from that. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I get to not work, but he sets me free from the effect of the curse, right? I think that's really, really great. And if we look at the words that other translations have used, that's the help we need. The Holy Spirit comes us to be an advocate, to remind us of who we really are. He becomes a helper because there's stuff in our life that's a struggle, and he comes alongside us to literally help us, sometimes when we can't help ourselves, right? He comes to counsel us, to give us that wisdom that we need because we need the help because we forget or we don't know what it looks like. What does it look like to have the effect of the curse ended in this area of my life? What does it look like to help other people realize what the Holy Spirit's done for them? Counselor. He comes as a counselor. What does it look like when we're hurting and we still live in a broken world where tragedy happens? He comes as a counselor, as a comforter. You hear what I'm saying? I thought, I thought that was really good. No, I, apparently, y'all didn't think that was that great. Oh, it's great. Okay. That was a bait. I was getting you to talk. I'm glad that you felt like that was great because I think that's an amazing way, a perspective to look through it. And interesting, if you flash forward to John 16, <clears throat> what we, there's something unique and special about the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself couldn't do or didn't do. I, maybe he could have, but he didn't. Jesus chose and the Father chose to send us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, it will be better for you if I leave because the helper's coming. The Savior that's going to apply my salvation to you, to your life, that's going to help you walk out your life under the realization of what I did for you is coming. It's better for you if he comes. So there's something better than that the Holy Spirit does for us in our daily lives. Isn't that crazy? We think, I think about what all the disciples went through when they walked on this earth with Jesus. How great would that have been? How amazing would that have been? You know, and then he equips them to go out and they do the stuff and they come back and they're like, Lord, listen to what we did in your name. Can you believe, I, I kind of believe it. It happened. You weren't even there, and it happened. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But there's better coming. What? Better? Okay. So we got a lot pulled from that. We get a lot pulled in from that idea of he comes as a counselor, he comes as a comforter, he comes as a, an advocate. We know that, uh, again, in, in, in 16, and maybe I should have just read that, Jesus talks about some of the same things. He talks about the fact that he didn't, he, he's not going to leave us as orphans. The Holy, he's sending the Holy Spirit. He won't leave us alone. Jesus was leaving the world, and he told his disciples, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you as orphans. We don't have to figure things out ourselves because of this help that we have, right? You ever feel like you're doing it alone sometimes? I have felt that. This week, I have felt that. Preparing for today, I felt that. Like, Lord, what the heck? 
I want to talk about what you want to talk about, but right now you're not talking to me about what you want to talk about. I don't want to. (laughs) You ever feel like you're, you're in it alone trying to figure out your life as a parent? You know, or as a college student? Like, I don't know how to get through this semester, God. I don't know how to get through this stage in my child's life. Okay, it's better that he came to help us, to walk with us. And as Jesus was with them, the Spirit was with him, as I mentioned before. And we know, how many of you know that the Spirit was with you before you got saved? Like the Spirit helps us, helps us realize we need save, being saved, right? The Holy Spirit gives revelation. He's not in you, but he's with you, right? We believe that he's with people. He's with People that are wrestling with this idea of God and this idea of Jesus. He's not in them, but he's with them. And then he comes in us. And today I want to kind of talk further about have you invited him in? Have you invited him in to dwell in you? To live inside you? What? What level of hospitality have we extended to the Holy Spirit to come live in us? As, as we were talking about, like, including the word indwelling, I told you, some of you that my 21-year-old son, Oliver, who's in the room, so I'll talk about him more today, he's uh, challenging us on some of the words that we've used in our vision statement. Indwelling was one of them. He's like, really, Dad? Indwelling? You're going to use that word? It's kind of churchy. And so I wanted to, like, spend a minute on it, you know, to talk about what we mean in this idea. Because you don't see it a lot. Like, it's not like we don't talk about indwelling or my dwelling a lot. It's not a current language that we use, you know. But it got us thinking about this idea of hosting the Holy Spirit in our house. Of hosting the Holy Spirit in us. When I was early in my Christian life, I grew up in the church I grew up in a denominational church. I've I've mentioned some of that story before. And as I was growing up in the denominational church, I knew the Holy Spirit was, you know, part of the Trinity. I've always believed that my whole life. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, I knew that the Holy Spirit. But for me, the Holy Spirit back then was like, was like a counselor. You know, was a counselor in terms of that check when I knew I was doing something wrong. I knew that was the Holy Spirit. When I was, after I was saved, but I wasn't living like who I really am. (laughs) Nobody else has lived like that. Okay. You know, I found the Holy Spirit checking me. Or, or there'd be times where I wrote in my notes, I would summon the Holy Spirit for help or guidance in my life. As if the Holy Spirit was some wise sage that was in some I don't know, I imagine it was like a really stone, like a stone library. Or maybe a, a, a room that was stone-filled with a throne on it, like, like in Isengard. Like, he was wise, this wise sage that was, that was uh, I could go to when I needed help. Right? And I knew he'd give me counsel, and I knew he'd give me good guidance from the Lord when I needed it. Did anybody else go through that phase in your, your Christian life? <clears throat> but in, in that phase of my life, I felt like the Holy Spirit wasn't, wasn't really, you know, part of my life 
Yeah, well, it was a part, this, this little part. And still could get really lonely at times. Like, I didn't necessarily feel like God was with me or in me because God was over there. The Holy Spirit was kind of tucked away. And so I could get, still get lonely. Later in life, um, I told the story last week about, I think it was last week, about my experience in the Holy Spirit baptism where I felt the Holy Spirit pour over me like somebody was pouring a bucket of paint over my head and just saturate me and cover me. And I had been seeking earnestly the things of the Holy Spirit because I was reading for myself what the things of the Spirit were in the Bible and, and realized that Paul said, earnestly desire. Well, t- okay, let me figure out what that means and was going after it and had this experience and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I entered into this phase of my life where the Holy Spirit was a good gift giver. I could go to him as a wise sage in his castle or library. Maybe it was more like a Anyway, I would go there, and uh, I could also now get gifts, these gifts that I needed in times of need or gifts during ministry or times of worship, like the gifts would just come out of me. Or, like I said, I would, I would earnestly desire for him to show me a gift or rise up a gift in me and, and leverage it for specific needs in, in ministry or to help a friend or to get a word. You, you know what I'm saying? He was a gift. He was like a gift giver. And I thought that was all great, and it is a great thing. He does give us good gifts. We, we know that. <laughs> he gives us amazing gifts that we should seek after. But I found myself, like, engaging him when I needed it. Does that make sense? So he was living in my house. I'm just trying to set up phases in my life, y'all. He was living in my house. When I was younger, I just went to him when I, need, when I needed counsel. Then I went to him when I needed some, some good gifts, because I knew he was a good gift giver. But I didn't really engage the Holy Spirit in every area of my life. I kind of tucked him away into those pockets or those areas. In an analogy, I didn't invite him into my whole house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there were some rooms in my house that were a little messy. That maybe I wasn't comfortable with Holy Spirit being in. They weren't put together. Yeah, you ever have friends over and you like close the door to that room? Like, oh gosh, they don't need to see that room. Nobody knows that. There's no creative people in the room that have messy spaces. Maybe, um, honestly, did you ever go through that time in your life where things were just too embarrassing to bring up with the Holy Spirit? Or too shameful to bring up with the Holy Spirit? Like you didn't know what was going on? So you're like, I'm not going to talk about that. It's like that... Uh, yeah, it's like our own houses, you know? It's like nobody wants to talk about the things that are really going on sometimes. The, the plumbing that's really broken, but you don't want to fix it. Or the stuff in our life that's like our toxic relationships with our extended families. Or nobody in this room has those. But, you know, think about people and friends that you do have those with. And, like, you just don't want to talk about it. Let's not talk about it. Maybe it'll go away. Or you're just too ashamed to talk about it because you feel like you're going to deal with it yourself. I went through that in my life. Darkness, like depression for me was one. Like secret sin was things, you know, things in my life that were like personal to me. And I think that shame like kept me from opening up those areas of my house to the Lord. And if I, as I think back through indwelling of the Holy Spirit... I wasn't letting him indwell me. 
You know what I mean? Now, in recent years, I've really felt invited to just let the Lord into everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Lord, you know it anyway. I don't know. Did I hit an age where I'm like, oh, he get, I, know, I knew I knew that he knew, but now I know that he knows. So come on, like, no need hiding it anymore. You know when you get to that age and you're like, you just say all the things that come to your mind. Like, you know, maybe my parents, maybe not. If they're listening, definitely not my parents. They just say, you just get to an age where you just say what you're thinking. You know, maybe I just got to an age where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know it anyway. I'm not hiding. I'm just going to, like, just be there. But, like, started letting the Lord into all the areas of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, the shameful. It's just been, it's been amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. He already knows we're anxious. He already knows that we are depressed or sad or lonely. In a house, if you, again, the analogy, you just invite him into that dark room. He already knows it's dark in there. And then what happens is it's not so dark in there when lightness walks in. He's light. There's been things in my life that I've had going on and I've just, I've been able to just confess them, like put words to them. And sometimes it's words like I'm scared or I'm depressed. I'm not, I don't feel like I can do it all. Sometimes it's the shame that you feel like, I'm sorry that I did that to you. I said that to you. I treated you that way. You know, there's been other, other things like in our, my relationship with Mary that I've been able to just vocalize and it's like brings it to the light. It's like opening the door in the room of your house. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not so dark. It's not. And now that it's on the table, we can do something about it. You know, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants that seat. Once that place where, where he's invited in to do the things that he, only he can do anyway. We can't do anything when we keep all that stuff boxed up and hidden away and that door closed. And he op- when, we open the, when we give him invitation, he can do it. And just his presence is lightness. You know what I mean? Just his presence. And I find that I have found in my life, I feel like I've been able to give Holy Spirit the seat of honor he deserves. Do you guys have a seats of honor in your house? No. We have seats of honor. I don't I want to necessarily we have seats of honor in our house, but I've been in houses with seats of honor. You know, my dad sat at the head of the table at the dining room table. It was his seat. It was different than all the other seats. His seat had like nice armrests. All the other seats were just wooden, you know. His seat was wooden too, but it had nice armrests. His seat had the best view of the driveway so that he could see people coming up the driveway because he didn't want to be caught off guard. He watched too many Western movies when he was a kid. You know, that seat in your living room, that really nice recliner. Maybe it's got a nice leather ottoman. And you know only certain people get to sit in that seat. And if so, have you ever been in a place where somebody walks in the room and everybody gets up because it's their seat? Mary's dad has, like, seats in his house. Uh, seats of honor. I would call it a seat of honor. I don't think anybody else has put words to that. But it's his seat, and you know, everybody in the room knows it's his seat. One time we were living with my in-laws. We were just newly married. We were living in their basement. And we had some friends over. I think it was for a playoff game or a Super Bowl or something. And my buddy, who... Uh, 
who was in our wedding. He was my roommate before we got married. He was over, and he got all his stuff. And and my father-in-law was sitting in, like, his seat of honor, his seat. The big leather chair, wing back, high seat, ottoman, the nicest uh, end table right next to it. You know what I'm talking about? And he gets up to go in to get himself a plate of food. Super Bowl Sunday. It must have been. I think it was a Super Bowl. He gets up to go in and, and, and gets himself a plate of food. And my buddy, who had just finished getting himself a plate of food, sits in his chair. And I was like, I was mortified. I was like, we're guests in his house. You can't sit in a seat of honor. But I was, I, was, I was thinking through this. I'm like, have I given the Holy Spirit the seat of honor in my house? Like in my dining room, is there a place for the Holy Spirit? Like that was actually a custom for, you know, in Passover meal to leave a space for Elijah, right? At the end of the table. I love, I'll digress a moment. I love The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, I highly recommend it. It's not like biblically accurate, so don't base your Bible history or theology off of all of it, but it's, so, it's such a great story. And there's one episode where, where Mary's hosting a uh, Passover meal, and uh, she leaves a space for Elijah like she's supposed to. She's learning, how, she's learning all these things, and Jesus walks in and sits in the seat, and I lost it, you know? Have we given a space for the Holy Spirit to just have the seat of honor? When I'm in my dining room, am I thinking about Jesus is in the space? The Holy Spirit is in this space. When I'm in my living room, am I thinking about the Holy Spirit is in this place? Where's the seat of honor in this space? It doesn't even have to be a real seat. He doesn't need a seat. But he needs a space of honor. And I feel like in my life, I've moved through this area, this time where I'm like, giving the Holy Spirit honor in places where he deserves honor. I'm, I'm looking for him even in the dark places of my life. I've given him access and I talk about it. Lord, Jesus, you already know what's going on, so let's talk about it, right? Have you given him a seat of honor? Have you given him access to your whole house? Or do you still have him locked up in that little stone room where you can go get him when you need him? Now I feel like I'm moving into an age of my life where I'm moving into retirement. That's not true. I wish it were true. <laughs> in life and practically like my work, I'm not really moving into retirement and work. But I feel like I'm trying to move into a place of retirement with my life in the Holy Spirit where I just want to give up. Because even in a house where you might have a person with a seat of honor, that person might not be calling the shots. That person might not be making the decisions. You know what I mean? Oliver and I would go to India. Uh, Judah and I went to India. We went to India and to do missions, and we'd go to these youth, this youth conference, and, and uh, it was really sweet. <clears throat> There'd be kids, 300, 400 kids, youth, out just dancing and sweaty and really smelly. And... Um, on the stage in India, seats of honor are really a big deal. And so on the stage would be like priests, local priests, local pastors um, on, on the stage and, and seats of honor. And it always felt weird to me, you know. The Bible talks about it, actually. It says when you go into somebody's house, sit in a lower seat of honor so that they can actually, you know, bring you and honor you and put you into a better seat. 
if you automatically take the seat of honor, you might get kicked out because somebody else is coming in. <laughs> any rate, the, this idea of seat of honor, but it does, those people weren't calling the shots. Those people didn't have authority for what was going on in the meeting. They had a seat of honor. <clears throat> they were probably sought out for their wisdom. They were asked to pray. They were asked to anoint certain things. But they didn't have authority over the whole ministry. Have we given Holy Spirit the seat of anointing, the seat of authority in our homes? You know what I mean? Like I'm in this part of my life right now where I feel like the Holy Spirit's involved in way more than he used to be in my life. I'm trying all the things, the good, the bad, the ugly. And now I'm just like, okay, now you take over. And not like Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel style, but like, you know, really take over. Help me. I'm, I'm in a place where it's like Paul talks about more of him and less of me. Like I want it to be more in him, more of him, more of him and less of me in my house. To give up control or even, I, I, I like things in order. I'm kind of a structure guy. You know, I literally had a job in organizational effectiveness. Like that's about processes and making things, sure things run right. I'm in a point in my life right now where I'm like, Holy Spirit, I don't care if it runs right. I mean, that's not true. I really do care if I can confess. I'm sorry. But I don't want to care. And where he wants to do something else. I love order, by the way, and I think God has an order. Go read. If you don't think God has an order and Holy Spirit cares about order, go read the plans for the temple. Like, God has some things. Like, he likes order. Uh, so I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is I want to give it up to him, though. I want to do all the things that he told, told me he wanted me to do and then just quit and say, okay, now you do what you want to do. And I, that's the part that I'm in right now in my life. I, I feel like I'm moving into this area where I'm like, I have some good ideas, Jesus. Holy Spirit, take them and just help me make them yours instead of just assuming they're his. You know what I mean? I've been declaring recently that I want to get to a place where I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. Like, I'm like, Jesus, what does that look like? What does that actually look like in our lives where we're walking through the grocery store doing what we see the Father doing? You know, when we're, when we're engaging with people in conversations, waitresses and waiters, you know, friends, family, we're doing what we see the Father doing. In my work, when I have a customer who's wrong, because customers aren't always right, and they're wrong, and they're irate, and they're taking it out on me. I'm like, I don't know why you're mad at me. What's the Father doing? Can I see what the Father is doing? I'm not great at it. I have not arrived. It's what I'm going after, because I think it's the next layer of the Holy Spirit having full access to indwelling in me. Because guess what we need? Guess what we need to do what we see the Father doing? We need to see what the Father's doing. And guess what that means? We need the Holy Spirit to show us what the Father's doing. So I'm, I'm in this point in my life. I'm like, Holy Spirit, show me. What's the Father doing? What's the Father doing? What's the Father doing? And I'm, I'm honestly, y'all, I'm not great at it. Um, but I'm excited because I, I know he's going to help me get there. Because I, th- I think that's his heart for us. And I know he's going to help me get there. And when I forget and I go days and weeks, I'm like, it was a mantra for a while. And then I, you know, got busy and some guy had my house tore up, 
like pulled out walls out of my house and tearing up holes in my floor. I got busy for a little while, and sometimes you forget because life gets busy. You forget to go back to the thing that you feel like the Lord's doing, you know? I'm like, okay, back. Let me get back there. What, Father, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Holy Spirit, help me to see what the Father is doing. So that's where I'm at. I don't know where you're at. But if we look back at what Jesus said in John, he told us we need help. We need somebody who will help us, advocate for us, be our counselor, be our comforter, and apply the effects of the cross in our life so we can live above the curse. We need that. Do you need that? Have you accepted all those things? Are you alone? Do you feel lonely? He said, you don't need to be alone because the Holy Spirit's coming. You don't need to be alone. So if you're feeling alone, the Holy Spirit really wants to get out of that room that you've stuck him in. And he wants to come sit in the living room with you or in your bedroom with you or wherever you're at. It's a poor analogy, y'all. It's not perfect. I'm not. He wants to be with you where you are, right? And he wants to lead us into all truth. That's the last part. I think I was going to mention that earlier, but I skipped it. He leads us into all truth. And I think that truth goes back to that reality of who we are and that what Jesus has done for us and that we get to live differently because of the effects of the cross in our everyday life, not just to save us once for eternity, but to save us every day, to set us free, to transform us, to make us more like Christ every day. And you know what? It leaks. Like, I don't know. I know Sometimes I don't act like who I really am. And we could get into semantics and debates about theology. Are we saved sinners or are we just fully redeemed in, you know, the righteousness of Christ? Yes, we're, yes, we are. But also every day we need to be filled up. I, at least I do. So where's the Holy Spirit at in your house? That's my question, I guess, as I wrap up. Where's the Holy Spirit in your house? Where do you want the Holy Spirit to be? How's your hospitality? And this isn't condemnation. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.